Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. Turn with me to Luke chapter 14. We're going to start at the beginning of chapter 14 and verse 1. And as you turn, we're going to pray. Dear Lord, we thank you this morning for the testimonies that we heard this morning, and we just give thanks to you. God, it is truly testimonies of, of your activity in our, in our midst. God, you are working in our midst. God, you are speaking. You are drawing people to yourself. You are revealing yourself to us in different ways, God. Thank you. Lord, we are privileged to be people who experience your grace and mercy. And Lord, now we pray as we approach your word that you would give us eyes to understand and to see what you are saying. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would give us the gift of illumination to be able to understand your word. And Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts, that we could receive it with faith and excitement and begin to walk in all these things that you have for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So Michelle and I celebrated our 10-year wedding anniversary last week, and I cannot believe that I actually convinced her to marry me. It is a, that is a miracle in and of itself. It's a testimony of God's grace to me. But um, at, our wedding, at our wedding reception, we had, we just, it was such a great time. Michelle did a great job of planning and organizing, getting everything ready. And at our wedding reception... Um, we had like the head table, and it was at the Radisson Hotel, at the hotel in Maryville, and this big ballroom. And so in this, we, there was just tons of, there was lots of people there. And we're, we're sitting at table number one, and it's kind of raised up and kind of over, overlooking everyone. It was really cool. And then, you know, you've got table two and table three, kind of like the parents and the grandparents and aunts and uncles, and then kind of got everybody else. Well, a guy from work that when I was working at Leaps at the time, uh, we worked together in the Highland store. Well, everyone sits down, and he gets his name tag, and he goes to sit down, and on his name tag, it says table number two. So he's like, okay. So he sits down, and here's this guy from work sitting down with all of the grandparents and, you know, the moms and dads and stuff, and he's thinking to himself, man, Johnny must really think I'm a good friend. I mean, I didn't realize how, how good of friends we were, you know. Well... His thing should have said table 29, not two. And so, so, you know, someone came over to us and said, hey, this guy that no one knows is kind of sitting at our table, and Grandma's supposed to sit there. And so we had to go over and say, look, I'm so sorry, buddy. (laughs) You're actually at table 29, and it's at the back of the room. So could you please get up and let Grandma come over and sit down at your chair? And sure enough, you had to get up and take the walk of shame to the back of the room and uh, sit there with the rest of the people from work, you know. But, I, you know, note to self, if you're ever at a wedding reception and you're at table number two, unless you've been, like, best friends since birth, look, there's been a mistake, okay? Don't sit at table number two ever. Um, so that's what happened. Now, in this story, something sim- Jesus is noticing something similar. And so we're going to look at, at verse 1, and we'll read on. One Sabbath... When he, when Jesus, went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And so here we have Jesus invited over to a religious leader's home. 
And there, it's a Sabbath day, meaning they could not have prepared the food that day. The food all had to be prepared the day before, which would have been Friday, so as not to do any work on the Sabbath. They're meticulous about this. So this has been a big feast, but all the food would have been prepared the day before. And meals in this time wasn't just like a couple of guys kind of coming over and kind of grabbing some food and taking off. These would have been big social rituals. In the ancient world, this would have, um, you would have only eaten with people kind of like in your social class. There may have been other people alongside in this meal that weren't necessarily invited, but were welcome to kind of come in and listen in on the conversation of the leaders. So you maybe had this kind of like core group of people who were the host in his, in his group of guests that he invited. And then you also had this kind of peripheral group of other people, maybe in the in the town, who would maybe stop by and kind of listen in. They wouldn't necessarily participate in the meal, but there wasn't any big deal for them maybe to kind of come in and, and hear what's going on. And here we have this, this words: they were watching him carefully. And so Jesus is at this is meal with the Pharisees, and we know from past uh, messages, the Pharisees were not guys who were buddy-buddy with Jesus. These guys were like the arch-rivals of Jesus Christ. These guys were out to get him. They did not like what he was saying. They didn't like what he was doing. They didn't like what he was preaching. They didn't like the way he's interacting with people, the way he's touching people, the way he's, he's healing people. He didn't like, they didn't like any of that stuff. So right from the get-go, Jesus is in the company of people who it says they were watching him carefully. And this word for watching carefully is the same word you'd use for someone who is lying in wait or scrutinizing another person. It's also used to describe sinister espionage. And so there's this, there's this way in which Jesus is interacting in this party with everyone in the room looking out and listening to his every word so they can pick it, pick it apart. They're watching his every movement, everything he's doing so that they can somehow get him with something, hoping to somehow trip him or, or, or trick him or whatever they could do to foil Jesus Christ. And so we read on in verse 2. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. Now, dropsy is uh, what we know today is something called edema. Okay, And what this is, it's an excessive accumulation of fluid in, in the tissue spaces or the body cavity, which causes excessive swelling. And so it's not that, not that common today. But it was something that really it caused the joints of the body to really swell up. And what would happen is, is it would make you terribly thirsty. So you'd drink and drink and drink to try to quench your thirst. But all that would do is create greater swelling in your body, which then created greater thirst. And it's this kind of endless cycle of, of pain and, and just, you couldn't get rid of this thing. It was awful. This insatiable thirst, but it would only mean more swelling. Now, he might have been a guy that the Pharisees planted there to see what Jesus would do. He may have been a guy who just coming off the streets, in the party, Jesus sees this guy, we don't know. Let's read on, verse 3. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out. And they could not reply to these things. 
And so we've seen so far Jesus and his interaction with the Pharisees and leaders, different reactions from people from his, what he's been doing on the Sabbath. We see anger, we see rebuke, we see in the last, maybe a couple of weeks ago we talked about, he healed on the Sabbath and the ruler of the Sabbath um, gathering was yelling at people for being there and coming to get healed on the Sabbath. But now he's only met with silence. Here it is, Jesus healing this guy on the Sabbath, the work of God happening before them, and there's nothing but silence all around him. And he says, and he poses them a question, look, if it was your son, or if it was one of your animals that fell into a pit or a well, wouldn't you go and help them out? The answer would be absolutely. If your son would fall into a well on a Sabbath day, you wouldn't wait and say, look, son, I'll I'll come get you in a day because it's the Sabbath. No, you would go and you'd help your son out. They all knew this. They all knew that that's what they would do. And so if it was important to them as their son or as one of their, their animals, they would find a loophole in the law and they would go and they would help their son out. Absolutely. But if it wasn't important to them, then why bother? I'm, I'm, I'm in a sense, I'm free from having to do anything to help you on the Sabbath. I don't need to. But all they did was stare at Jesus in silence. Now, as I, as I read this, I just want to bring a couple of things to our attention. A couple of things that stick out to me in this interaction. Number one, we again see Jesus' compassion for those who are the least in society. Who are the recipients of the bulk of Jesus' ministry work? It's the poor. It's the sick. It's it's the women. It is people who have been marginalized by society. It's been people who have been rejected and pushed away. It's the Gentiles who are the outsiders. These are the very people who are receiving the ministry of Jesus Christ. Those who are marginalized by society were the ones who were receiving the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Number two, we also see this. As much as the Pharisees fought against Jesus, as much as the Pharisees hated Jesus Christ, as much as they would eventually plot to kill Him and get rid of Him, Jesus still showed compassion on them. It amazes me. Why did He even show up at all? Would any of us go to a party knowing that we would be outnumbered, everyone against you, everyone watching your every move, your every word, trying to trip you up, trying to, trying to get rid of you and destroy you, take what you say and twist it against you? I don't know if any of us would ever go into that, something like that. But here Jesus is, surrounded by Pharisees, and he's, he's speaking the words of life to them. And showing them the compassion and love towards other people. The, the power of God is on display. The fact that he's even in their presence is the gift of God to them. Jesus is in their midst. He reveals himself as one who could forgive sins. As one who can heal the sick. As one who cares for others. He declares the word of God to them. He didn't hedge anything with these guys. He laid it all out for them over and over and over again. They experienced the revelation of who Jesus was. He was the Son of the living God. This should bring great encouragement to us when we think about this. 
There might be friends or family members who've spent their whole lives rejecting God. There are people around us at work who have rejected God over and over and over again. Don't give up. If there's breath, there's still hope. For these guys, Jesus continued to show mercy and grace to the people who he knew, rejected, and hated him. That's the mercy of God. But number three, in contrast to the incredible grace and compassion of Jesus stands the hardness and the rejection of the religious leaders. Here Jesus is healing this guy right before their very eyes on the Sabbath. You think someone would stand up and say, I can't believe what I've just seen. This is amazing. This guy was just healed in our presence. I can't believe this. This is, oh, this is awesome. You know, let's give some hugs and high fives. Let's do something to celebrate the fact that this guy has been healed. This guy's life was ruined and now it's been set free. Go home to be with his family. He can go back to work again. Who knows what, what God's going to do with this guy's life? But they sit back in stone cold silence to the work of God in their midst. I remember hearing a story from a worship leader. doesn't go to this church, but his, his name is Bob Coughlin. And he was telling a story. He was, he was on the road and he went and visited this church this little church on a Sunday morning. And in this church, they, they come in, there was some older people there, and the music was just off, and it, they weren't hitting the right notes, and things were out of order, and it, just, it was just a real big, chaotic mess up on stage. And him being a, a worship leader for a fairly large church with years and years and years of experience, I mean, the guy was just like, man, these guys, they've missed it, man. They really haven't. These guys really screwed this one up this morning, you know. And as they got done, as they finished singing songs, the little old lady who was sitting next to him leans over. She says, wasn't that just a great time of singing songs of worship to Jesus this morning? And he thought, here he was. Here he was, sitting in defiance and sitting in rebellion against God. And there was praise and worship going on all around him. And he completely missed it. He completely missed it. He had every opportunity to enter in and sing praises to God. And he completely missed his opportunity. How many times have I played the Pharisee? We can look at these Pharisees and say, Wow, man, I'm so glad I'm not like those Pharisees. Those guys really missed it. Those guys were, those guys were screwed up. I mean... We, we can say, we, 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 I, I approach the text and I read that and I think, oh, these, man, these guys, right from the get-go, hear the word Pharisee, you think, oh, man, hypocrites, these guys completely missed it. I mean, they just, Jesus was in their midst and they didn't even know it. They didn't care. I think, how many times have I come to a Sunday morning service and there is praise and worship happening all around me and I'm worrying about the big yellow spot on the screen because the bulb in our projector is going out? Which it is. One of these mornings, we're going to be sitting here, listening, watching the words on the screen, and all of a sudden it's going to go black. Okay, just, just warning you. But how many times we sit, oh, there's a big yellow spot on the screen. Oh, you know, Ethan really screwed that one up. You know, what is he doing up there? I, you know, just all that kind of stuff. I don't really think that, Ethan. I'm just joking. But we miss it. Or even if we had a bad, we had a bad week, we come in here, just, man, I'm just upset. Not to somehow like pretend like that didn't happen 
But I want us to see that whether we feel like it or not, He is worthy of our praise and worship. Whether we come here feeling like we, sh- we want to, whether we got enough sleep, whether it was a great week, whether we were fired from our job, whether the songs are all great and in order and everything works out perfect and there's no yellow, yellow dot on the screen, it doesn't matter. He's worthy to be praised. He is worthy to be worshipped. He is worthy for us to respond in, in an attitude of surrender to Him. This is our response. Unless we become the Pharisees, the very Pharisees that we read about and think, oh, I don't want to be like those guys, we do that. I do that. It's a good reminder for us that Jesus is worthy of our praise and honor and our attention and our affections, whether we feel like it or not, whether my week was great or not. He is worthy. In the same way we see these guys, they miss out What I long for in my life, what I long for for us as a church, is for us to respond to God by saying, yes, Lord. To whatever that is, whatever He is asking us to do, whatever He is calling us for, that we would simply say, yes, Lord. Whether it would be big things, going on an international missions trip, whether that's just responding and singing praises to God on a Sunday morning, whether it's inviting your neighbors or bringing stuff over to your neighbor who lives a couple houses down from you, whether it's just praying for people, that we would be the people of God, that I would be the, the, the people of God who would say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Whatever it is, God, big or small, would say, yes, Lord. That is what I desire for my life. That is what I want for us as a church. That is what we desire for our family and for our children, that we don't stand in cold defiance to the work of God around us because God is at work around us. God is at work. We heard testimony after testimony this morning of God speaking, God working, God moving. God is at work around us. So please help us, Lord. Please help us. Please help us to respond by saying yes to you. Please help us, God, to turn away from our selfishness, Please help us, God, to to not be so caught up in our own feelings or our own desires or our own idols. God, that we would say no to you and turn our back from you, Lord. Please help us, God, as, as, as your people and as your church. Help us to say yes, Lord, whatever you are calling us to. And God, I pray right now you bring to mind those things that you have spoken to us over and over and over again that we've put out of memory, that we've tried to forget, that we've said no to you. God, please help us. In Jesus' name. I'm not over, sorry. I just want to just, we, we need this. I need this. But that's where, that's where repentance comes in. Because there has been areas in each one of our lives, and in my life in particular, where I've said, no, Lord. That's where repentance is vital. That we, the grace of God is available for us. That we, no matter where we are, no matter how many times we have said no to God, that we could come back to him and say, Lord Jesus, please forgive me. I haven't done this perfectly, but you have. Please forgive me. Please, please give me the grace to say yes to you. Please give me the help I need so that I can respond to you. And that God meets us right where we're at. That God would meet us right where we're at. I have to believe in this story. If there would have been one Pharisee who would have said, yep, you know what? 
I am wrong. I have stood in cold defiance to you, Lord Jesus. Please forgive me. I believe he wouldn't have said, get away from me, you filthy sinner. He would have embraced him. He would have lavished his love upon him. He would have said, absolutely. I've come here for the Pharisees and for the people with sickness and for those who have been marginalized. That's what I've come here for. And I'm, I'm, I'm continuing to reveal my grace to people. That's the good news for us. Repentance is available for us. We turn from our sin, turn to Jesus Christ, and receive the grace and mercy and His love. Right where we're at. Let's move on. Verse 7. Now He told a parable to those who were invited when He noticed how they chose the places of honor. And so, in the ancient Mediterranean world, it was a, it was a, a society of, of honor and shame. And a family's honor in a community would determine who you could marry, who you would do business with, where you would live, what social functions you could attend. So this honor and shame thing was, was vital. It was, it was a big deal to people. And so as Jesus is watching what's going on, he's seeing people kind of, kind of trying to get in a position for the best seats. And in this time, there would probably have been like a U-shaped table with the host sitting at kind of the middle of the base of the U. They would recline on couches, and they'd kind of lay, and they'd prop themselves up with their left elbow, and they'd eat with their right hand. And the people sitting to the right or to the left of the host were like seat one and you know seat two were the, the most important ones. And really, as close as you can get to the host, the better. And those who were kind of sitting at the end of the table wasn't so desirable. So Jesus watched as this kind of trying to get in position, trying to get the right seats, trying to get just all these kinds of things were going on. Let's read on. Verse 8. And Jesus saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, like my buddy. Don't sit down at table 2, okay? You're actually at table 29. I'm so sorry, pal. Lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So he's saying, look, there's the lesson to be learned here. Everyone's trying to get in position, trying to get the best seats. True exaltation doesn't come by way of exalting yourself. It's actually through humility. Ray Ortland Jr. writes this, How to be insignificant. This is how to be insignificant. Reach for your own self-defined significance. Big dealness undermines itself. Ambition demotes. But how to be significant? Forget about your big plans and obey Jesus radically in sacrificial ways that make no sense unless he himself is the reward. Let's Jesus himself is your reward. You want to be significant? 
You want to find a place of purpose. It's not in grabbing it for yourself. It's not in you defining it for yourself. It's sacrificial obedience to Jesus in such a way that he is the prize itself and nothing else. I remember one one Sunday morning many years ago when we were back at Living Word Church, and I was a young man at the time, and the pastor was praying for people at the front of the church, and I don't know if this is like in the middle of service or at the end, but he's praying for people, and he looks out in, he looks out in the audience, and he sees me, and he points to me. And I'm like, like what? You know, what, is, what does he want me for? And he's like, hey, come up here, and I'm like, probably wants me to pray for somebody, he probably wants me to like do some ministry, some, you know, kind of going up, and he's like, no, no, like the guy behind you. So I'm like... <laughs> Okay, go back and sit down, take the walk of shame. The guy behind me goes up, and I don't know what he was doing, probably something really important. But that's, that's, that's what Jesus exactly is talking about. We want, we want that. All of us want, we all desire to be important. We all desire to be the first one in line. We all desire to be at the head table. We all desire to hang out with the cool people. That's in, that desire is in all of us. He's not only talking to a few select people, where it is really, you know, stuck up or whatever. This is for all of us. But this isn't the way Jesus lived his life. This isn't the way Jesus ministered. He of all people who had the opportunity to say, look, I am something. Everyone take notice. Look at me. I'm it. Man, you got to check me out. Watch, watch this healing. Watch me walk on water. Watch me cast a demon out of that guy. Watch me speak the words of God and silence all my foes. Listen to the way Apostle Paul describes Jesus Christ in Philippians 2. And specifically in verses 3 to 11, this is the way the Apostle Paul describes Jesus Christ. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility... Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is ours in Christ. This isn't just something we just get, attain on our own. This is what we have in Jesus Christ. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the form of a servant, being born in likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ lived this out. He modeled modeled this for us, but He lived this out perfectly because He knew that we never could. And that when we are found in Him, when we we are covered by His righteousness, that we receive all the blessings of His obedience. That we can somehow come before the throne of God Say, God, forgive me. God would say, absolutely. Because my son has paid the way. He 
He has lived out for you what we never could on our own. There's grace for us when we think we're the most important person in the room. There's grace for us when we take the places of honor for ourselves. There's grace for us when we desire to be all that we think we should be, but we're not. Significance is found not in what we can do, but who we are in Jesus Christ. And we want to be those who are the ones defined, that we are not the ones who define significance, but allow God to define significance for us. He's the one who determines significance. And I want to close with a couple, say a couple of things in closing. Some application for us. Number one, I want us to see something and, and, and really allow this to fuel worship for us. Jesus' relentless pursuit of people, even the Pharisees, even the ones that we think aren't the ones who should get God's grace, even, even though we see the Pharisees, and think, man, these guys are bums. These guys are, these, I can't believe these guys are doing this to Jesus. Yet they are the ones who are the recipients of his presence. To, to, Jesus reveals his power to them. He speaks the words of God to them. Jesus' relentless pursuit of people. I love this. Jesus' relentless pursuit of people. He doesn't shrink away from judgment, from the watchful eye, from places where he knows he's going to be uh, judged and he's going to be persecuted and people are going to stand in opposition to him. doesn't avoid those places. He runs headfirst into them and still reveals the power of God in the midst of those things. And if we, if you and I this morning have been redeemed by God, if you and I have given our lives to Him, we now are called ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We now are called to represent Jesus to other people. We're called to represent Jesus Christ wherever we go. Whether that's on a missions field, or here on a Sunday morning, or at church functions, or at Monday morning work, or Wednesday night hangout time with your friends, we are called as ambassadors of Jesus Christ to live out these things just like He is calling us to. We are called to represent Jesus to the world. We are being called to live out His love and compassion towards other people by saying, yes, Lord, in the big things and in the small things. I believe as we prayed this morning and just asked God to, Lord, bring to mind the things that we have said no, Lord, to, that he's continued to bring those things to mind again so that we can, by God's grace, say yes, Lord, and walk in those things. And it would be great to hear testimonies. We continue, people come up and share, it's great. We want testimonies of people saying, look, I didn't think this was going to happen, but I simply said yes, Lord, and God went to work. God showed up. Number two, there is a great reversal taking place. He's talking about the proud being brought low and the low being raised up. True significance isn't found in promoting ourselves, but like Ray Ortland says, obeying Jesus radically in sacrificial ways that make no sense unless he himself is the reward. The reward for our obedience, the reward for saying, yes, Lord, isn't just problem solved or just, you know, I have a testimony of a miracle happening. Those things are great. The true reward for us is Jesus Christ himself. 
that we would receive more of Him, that we would know Him more, that we would experience His life living inside of us. That is our true and great reward, is Jesus Christ Himself. That is why we sing these songs, we give testimonies. It's not just God is merciful, although He is. He's been merciful to me. I've experienced His mercy. That is our testimony, each one of us. So I want to encourage us for us to say, yes, Lord, in big and small ways and understand that true significance is found when we walk in sacrificial obedience to Him, no matter what the cost. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, Lord, we thank You so much for the gift of Your Son, Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for the gift of your word that reveals Jesus to us, that nourishes and edifies us. And Lord, we pray this morning that we would be the people of God who would say yes to you. Whatever you are calling us to, I pray that we would say yes. Jesus, thank you that you have made a way. Thank you that your grace is available. Thank you that you took our sin and shame and sickness to the cross Pay the penalty for our sin that we could be set free. So Lord Jesus, here we are before you. We submit ourselves to you afresh again. Help us to walk in your ways that, we would, that you would be our great reward. Amen.